Morning, friends. Was it brisk trying to get in this morning? Starting to rain? Sorry about that. It was nice and sunshiny first hour. So uh, I'll put in a good word with the big guy. You can get a row up in heaven since uh, you had to danger the bristly, bristly weather. So, uh, hey, I don't know if you've heard yet or not, but Urbana turns one today. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. They're having a big celebration over there today in Urbana. Uh, they've actually gone from glazed donuts to donuts with sprinkles. They're pretty excited today. But, you know, as a baby, you can't, can't give them too much solid food too quickly. So today is for sprinkles. So they're getting a chance to do that. Now, uh, you're going to get a chance to celebrate a little bit more about Urbana later in our service. But um, there is a lot to celebrate here at First Christian Church. And um, I don't know if you had a chance last week, but last week uh, we had the privilege of hosting a trunk or treat on Salt and Light's location in Urbana. Did any of you help with that? If you were there, yes, some of you are putting your, okay. It was a windy day. Did anybody get that? Yeah. Some of these pictures kind of show that. You'll see everybody's getting set up here at this point um, with their different trunks, getting ready to put out treats. The next picture, you'll see something. Yeah, the Adams family showed up. They were giving out autographs four to six. It was nice. Uh, we also had, this is some of our staff spouses. Uh, they were actually putting together a trunk or treat where they're celebrating uh, soccer, it looks like. The next one, this is uh, one of our student ministry associates. This is Roland. He was rapping a little bit. I don't know if you got to see that. That was a good time. Um, this is when the crowd started to show up, about 4.15, and uh, it just tons of people. Then, then we had this. Now, this is new for me. I've never experienced this. This is actually a bale of hay, and they are teaching roping at uh, Trunk or Treat. You'll see it went to uh, roping children next. That was really popular. Um, and then, actually, a dance party broke out because music had been playing, and, you know, Charlie Brown, you know, they were doing, you know, doing that whole little dance thing. And then you'll see, that, I think this picture encapsulates the whole day. So here are our ropers giving out candy. Within the background, those are a couple of our spoken word artists, rap artists that were performing for the day. And so we've decided to hashtag trend, trunk or treat for the rest of this year as a hashtag, what is it? It's a uh, hashtag ropers and yeah, rappers and ropers. That's what it's going to be. So uh, anytime from here on out, we talk about trunk or treat. It is hashtag rappers and ropers. So, you know, it's, it, I think it's the best picture of our community. Don't you? I mean, when you think about uh, CU in the area, most of the time we just think about our community. When you think about southeast, uh, the southeast side of Urbana, you think about the, ner the needs, the poverty, the, the things that are going on in that community that, that uh, we want to reach out and help be a part of. But we're not just Champagne or Urbana or Savoy. We're Muhammad, we're Monticello, you know, we're Tuscola, Arcola, you know, we're um, Oakland, we are uh, everything from Tolono to St. Joe, uh, we go all the way to Hoopston. So, I mean, I mean we, we represent a wide variety of places here as a church, and it's a reminder that we represent not only who we are, but where we are, and where we've been planted is where God wants us to, to bloom, to express our gifts. And I think that's been so crucial as we've been in this series uh, called I Heart My Community. We're in the last week, the final week of that, and we began to think about it just in the context of our church. I mean, our church has almost 70 years worth of history as First Christian Church Champaign. So we're almost 70 years. I guess we're time to retire. Is that what we're supposed to do? No, absolutely not. No, we, we, we do not retire. But I, I began to think about this for a moment. What if we were a one-and-done church, right? You know what I mean by one-and-done? What if we just did trunk or treat and we all sat back and said, that, that's great. We serve this year. That's awesome. We have done our part. Well, I can live on that hype for a while. I'm sure you can live on that hype for a while. But that's not really what the church is about. 
It's not about just doing one thing and then being done. I mean, our life doesn't function that way, right? You don't, put a, you don't buy a car, put a tank of gas in there, and try and drive it for the rest of its history, never refilling it and never putting maintenance or, or changing its oil, right? There are moments that build into moments that create these movements. Um, you, don't, you don't stand at the altar with your spouse and say, I do, and then when they turn around and look at you, you, you say, well, I did. You know, you, it's, it's every day you've got to be working on your marriage and making it more than what it is. And as a church, we must be reminded, it's not that, hey, I already went to church, or hey, I've already served once. It's really about a lifestyle of moments that become movements, about relationships that become repeatable. It's this concept that what God has done on our behalf of giving himself through the person of Jesus, that he died, was buried, and rose again, that that sacrifice has become a movement of love and forgiveness and life. So we began to realize that this movement of restoration, that that's ultimately what God is doing through the book of Nehemiah and through the life of Jesus and through us, leads us to this understanding that restoration of a community happens in a movement, not simply in a moment. You know, just because we threw a party in southeast Urbana does not mean that crime has dropped to zero percent. You know what I'm saying? There's relationships that we're going to need to build. There's opportunities of education. There are, there are families that we're going to need to get to know and, and, and time that's going to need to be spent. And the same thing is true about the story of Nehemiah that we've seen as a portrait of who Jesus is. Now, Nehemiah, we know, has grown up in captivity. And through his own life of service, he has found his way through the ranks and actually became a cupbearer. Now, cupbearer was the right-hand person to the king, not right-hand in as far as authority and power, but right-hand almost in the sense of security, that the first one to eat or drink anything was the cupbearer, because if the cupbearer ate something or drank something that killed him, the king knew, oh, well, at least he's dead, not me, right? And so over time, there had been this great journey. There had been this great history, this long-standing relationship of trust where uh, Nehemiah would eat things and there would be safety. There would be security for the king. And so this relationship kind of flourishes. And what happens is the news that Jerusalem is broken, it's in shambles, impacts Nehemiah differently than he had ever understood it. That his place in time, his opportunity to serve, his understanding of God began to all converge and create this movement. This moment sparked a movement towards restoration. And so in week one, we began to unpack this idea. We saw that restoration begins with a transformed heart. Nehemiah 1 opens with the breaking of his heart to break for the things that break God's heart. The reason the city of Jerusalem need to be restored because, is because we understood that the the health of the city was a reflection towards the people and their relationship with God. Broken people, broken city meant a broken relationship with God. And so if they could restore the people and restore the city, it would restore this understanding that God is alive, God is active, and their relationship with God is close. The second week we realized, though, that it's not just enough to break our hearts, but we realize that our impact cannot, be, cannot happen inside the circle of comfort. Our impact cannot happen inside a circle of comfort. We are going to be the ones that need to step out, to sacrifice, to be the ones to make the change happen. Our lives are going to be negotiated for the benefit of God and the benefit of others. 
Then we realize that adversity begins to show up. And when God gives you a mission, you should expect opposition. And we just said this, adversity will either refine or it'll redirect your commitment. It'll either refine or it'll redirect your commitment. That's true about God. That's true about our relationships in marriage. It's true about our, our working relationships. It'll either be a process that begins to refine us and grow our character, or it's going to redirect us towards something else. Last of all, we saw Nehemiah look the most like Jesus when he began to serve. And we began to realize that our posture matters more than our position. That for real life change to happen, it's not going to be about the money in our wallet or the title over our doorpost. It's not going to be the name on our jersey or how long we've necessarily lived in a community. It's going to be, are we the kind of people that would bend our knee, extend our hands, and look to heaven for the hope that comes in Christ, that we would serve and care in a way that looks like Jesus? Because when we serve, that's when we most look like Jesus. And so it's important for us to understand as we jump back into this, this movement of restoration, as we jump back into this understanding of what God is trying to do through all people, that we understand this. The restoration of a community happens in a movement, not in a moment. It's going to take time for it to happen in that community. It's going to take time for circumstances and opportunities to come together. And oftentimes, in, through adversity... Overcoming one moment after another tends to be the building blocks by which we gain a foundation of trust and hope and fulfillment that change is worth it. Now, in the story of Nehemiah, we actually jumped to Nehemiah 12 last week. We're going to jump back to Nehemiah chapter 6 this week. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. But last week we finished, you know, the wall is already built, a big celebration happens, the entire world and community around them begins to recognize that God has been at work and the city is restored. But what happens from Nehemiah 1 to Nehemiah 6 are a series of adverse moments, attacks and assaults against Nehemiah and his people that he can either listen to the accusations or he can lean back into the assurance in his relationship with God and the trustworthy nature of God that he has seen for generation after generation. If you have your Bibles, I want to go ahead and encourage you to open up Nehemiah chapter 6. Verse 5 starts this conversation. And there have actually been four different times that adversity has come their way. How do I know that? Verse 5 says this. Then the fifth time, so we're in scene 5 here of adversity. The fifth time, Sanballat went, uh, sent his aid to me with the same message. In his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. You know, it's reported in the nations, that Ge and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building uh, the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. And have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Now, let's call a timeout right there. Can we do that? 
Now, here's what's happening in this fifth movement of accusation is they've, they've sent an unsealed letter to Nehemiah. Now, we remember that with a sealed letter, there is the king's ring on that. It means it's an official document. So this one's open already, okay? It's already, we already know something's up with this letter. And he's saying, hey, the news on the street is this that you are ultimately about to seize the moment that you've always wanted. That as soon as this city gets put back together, you're going to place yourself on the throne and you're going to be the king. Matter of fact, you've already got prophets ready to make this announcement. And we know that when the city comes together and the prophets take their place and they make this announcement, this is what's going to be happening. You're going to become king. And uh, let's just be honest. That's not going to go well with the king. And so since we're friends, let, let's talk about this a little bit. Here's what's interesting. Anytime that somebody tries to, to stop someone's cause, when they can't derail it, oftentimes they change the narrative of the situation. If we were to put Nehemiah in 2018, we would call this fake news, right? Can I say that or is that too far? Is that too far? What we've got here is fake press releases and what they're trying to do is they're trying to shake the bushes to get everybody to go, oh yeah, that's, that's what Nehemiah is doing. That's what Nehemiah is about. Look at Nehemiah's response, though. I love how he responds in this moment. So I sent him a reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening, okay? You are just making it up out of your head. I wish this really put this in real language, you know? It's like, he's just like, come on now. You know you're lying. I know you're lying. You're just pulling this out of the air, we'll say, right? You know, and we're just making this public, but let's be honest, you know, none of this is true. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it'll not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Every time accusation and adversity comes to Nehemiah, he turns back to God. Whether it's his prayers whether it's trusting God's promises, Nehemiah turns back to God. And this is so important for us because what you see in the narrative is that when you want to overcome adversity, when you want to become a person of character, you don't turn to yourself, you don't turn to your peers, you return back to God. And that's so difficult for us, isn't it? It's so much fun to rally our friends with our frustration. It's so much fun to sulk in our own self-centeredness, isn't it? But Nehemiah is not a great servant because he's got great leadership skills or he, you know, went to a great academy to be trained. He's a great leader because he has a relationship with God. And ultimate restoration, whether it be through cities, whether it be through people, whether it be through marriages, begins with a relationship with God. But it shows up in the community around us, even in our walls and our gates. But then it goes on, and there's another accusation, scene six that begins to happen in verse 10. He says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, uh, the son of Mehedabel, who, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. Let us close the temple's doors because men are coming to kill you by night. And by night, they are coming to kill you. So one of his own people come to him and say, hey, 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 your life's at risk. Your death would mean the end of this moment. Your death would ruin everything that we've worked towards. 
So come on, come on, come on. Why don't you come? Why don't you hide in the temple? Now, here's what's interesting. And I want you to know this. I want you to, well, I'll, I'll say this later. Here's what's interesting. What's interesting is Nehemiah knows that's not the place for him. That's the place for the priest. There are all sorts of understandings about the presence of God living in the temple. That's not the place for him to hide and to be. So here's what Nehemiah says. Should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him and that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had hired him to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then he would give me a bad name and discredit me. Here's what we know. Nehemiah understood that that was not the place for him, that only the priests were to reside there, that the understanding that this is where God dwelt in the temple. And so he knew that in, by stepping in there, he was sinning, he was crossing the understanding of their view of God's presence and their place of God's priests. And he was now inserting or placing himself somewhere that he should not be. Now, here's what I want you to know. In our day and age, if anybody's ever at risk, if you guys need a place to sleep or stay, if you sleep in this building, nothing bad's going to happen, okay? Because the book of Acts reminds us that God does not live in buildings made by human hands, but that God now lives in the hearts of us. That's the beauty of living in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit, God's presence, now begins to reside in us. But Nehemiah, had he stayed in the temple, in where the presence of God was, in the place where only the priests were really allowed, he was placing himself in a place of prominence and presence that was not his. And it would speak to the community of an arrogance and a heresy that would erode the very integrity that he had built. And I just think Nehemiah is not a wuss. I think Nehemiah is probably the guy who's kind of like, if you want some, come get some. You know my address, right? But what's trying to happen here, they're scheming, they're plotting, they're trying to create this false narrative, they're trying to destroy his integrity, they're trying to erode whatever they can because if they just keep pressing, no one will ever stand up this long. They'll quit. But look at the results. Nehemiah does not leave the adversity. He doesn't listen to the accusations. But he holds on to the assurance of God and he continues to take moment after moment and overcome the adversity. Here's what it says in verse 14. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Verse 15 says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were, what's that word? Afraid. And they what? Lost self-confidence. Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of who? Our God. Do you understand what's happening here? As the restoration of people begins to grow through moments of adversity, as the restoration of a city begins to happen through moments of accusation, 
there is becoming a movement of assurance in the character of God. So much so that not only does Nehemiah know it, not only does the people of God know it, but everybody within arm's reach of this city is going, oh my goodness. This was never about them. This was never about us. This was always about God. And Nehemiah recognizes, Nehemiah recognizes that fear and a lack of self-confidence begins to erode the enemies that were once fighting against God. There's a unity that builds out of the people of God, and there's a destruction that comes to these dividers. The word, the idea of losing self-confidence is literally that they, they fell in their own eyes. Meaning that when they got up the next morning and they looked themselves in the mirror, they knew what everybody else knew. They had lost. And God had won. Nehemiah lived a life knowing what was true the whole time. It was never about Nehemiah's prominence. It was never about Nehemiah's power. It was never about making great commerce happen for a city. It was never about securing stability for a city. It was always about restoring people to restore a community so that they might restore their relationship with God. And the whole world would know that restoration is what God is about and that God is the one who deserves the credit and the glory. That's the reality we all long for, isn't it? We don't serve because we want to be popular. We don't serve because we want to just feel good. We don't serve because we want some sort of blessing. We serve because that's who Jesus is. And that's how Jesus restores the world around us. That it was in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection that he overcame these moments to create this movement of love and forgiveness and new life. So here's the question. What about our movement has the potential to point to the reality of God? What about our movement has the potential to point to the reality of God? I mean, this is why it's so important that we do what Nehemiah has done. Not just these one-off events, but we continue to do the events. That's why we, we do a, a fall family fair, and then maybe we follow it up with a trunk or treat, or we get ready to do foster parent family uh, Christmas parties because we're always leading towards moments that are put together, repeatable moments that help become the reproducible movements that transform lives and transform people. Because the truth of the matter is, is if you can put one moment together with two moments, and two moments become four moments, you ultimately begin to create a movement. But how do we illustrate this in our own lives? Well, I, I brought this bag because I want to make a quick announcement that I got to take my wife to St. Elmo's in Indianapolis for our 23rd anniversary. And so when you see her, tell her congratulations for lasting 23 years with me because she really deserves it, okay? But uh, this, this illustration is not brought to you by St. Elmo's, but it is brought to you by M&M's. Because what I need you to remember is that Moments become movements. Can you say that with me? Moments become movements. And this is, some of you are like, mind blown, right? Okay, so here's what, here's what I want you to know. Let's say each of us have a life that we could live, right? So we have a life that we could live. Um, let's say maybe we're a, a, a man, right? Let's say I'm a man or uh, maybe you're a, a, a woman, right? Okay. 
or maybe you're a, a student or a, a, a child, okay? And so each of us have a life, correct? Correct? Okay, we all have one life. And so with our one life, right, we have the opportunity to make an impact on somebody else's life. And here's what's cool about moments becoming movements, especially through people's lives, that when one person reaches out to another person, you have two people, right? They're all of a sudden together uh, in, in a relationship, living out this truth that God restores people. But when you take two lives to reach two people, you now have four people. Some of you are math majors, I can tell already. Okay, so we're flying, right? So if you have, you have two people that reach two people, you could reach four people. So if you have... If you have four people, you could reach eight people. Wow, some of you are just like, you are sweating trying to keep up with me. Okay, right? You get this idea. So, so you get like four, four, uh, you get eight. Okay, right? So all of a sudden you get, you get these four more. Okay. So then you got eight times eight. So we've got, what do we got? We got 16, right? Okay, so you got about 16. We're just going to ballpark this a little bit, right? So 16 lives, reaching 16 lives means we're reaching how many lives? 30, 32 lives. Okay, so we've got to really fill, okay, right, right, right. So we got 32 lives, trying to fill that up best we can. And we get 32 lives, 32 lives. 32 times 30, 32 times plus 32 is a what, what, 60? Yeah, Josh, you're in management, is that right? 64? Yeah, okay, 64. Okay, so we've got 64. So you see what I'm saying? So we get 64, meeting 64, and then all of a sudden they start piling up, and then you got 64 plus 64 is, what, 128? And then we got 128 that are going to reach... Do you understand what I'm trying to say with this? Eventually, you just kind of get this big movement, and all we're doing is reaching people. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what would happen... What would happen if our moments in life became movements of people? What would happen if each and every one of us realized that with each event, with each community group, with each opportunity of worship, what would we do if every moment of our life began to be reproducible to restore lives around you? You could get an assortment of changed lives, restored people, neighborhoods, communities, marriages, families, friends, co-workers that could be restored in the concept of overcoming moments to let them become a movement. I mean, isn't that what God invites us to? That there was this moment that Jesus took all the wrath, all the sin of the world upon himself, and in a moment, in a moment, he overcame both sin and death, his death, his burial, his resurrection began a new life that comes through Christ where each life can be restored to live a life of love and forgiveness and new life to the point that we can be a part of this movement. I've got a passage I want you to read real quickly. It's going to be on the side screens, if you will. But I want you to read it out loud with me in the words of Jesus when he talks about this movement and what it looks like. Here's what it says in the end of Matthew. It says this. And if you'll read it with me, that would be great. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If, you, if I make you light bearers and you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. 
Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Let's move to our time of response. Nehemiah lives a restorative life. He recognizes that it's not about walls. It's not about gates. It's not about just everybody taking their place and serving or protecting what's going on. It's about allowing God to restore in you what he desires to restore in all of creation. And so Jesus says, hey, this movement, it's not just something that we have for ourselves, but it's something that continues well beyond us. Here's one of the intriguing things about the world that we live in today. We talk, everybody talks about we've got to get saved. And so many times what's happened is, we, many times what's happened, my bad, my bad. Many times what happens is we worry about getting saved and forget about saving anyone else. And our salvation is not intended to be a moment, but a movement. That when we were saved, we were also sent. And this is what Nehemiah gets. That being a part of the people of God is a great privilege and a great responsibility, but it's not about me. It's probably not even about you, which means it's probably really not about us because it's really ultimately about what God's doing. But when we have a chance to take our place on the wall, when we have a chance to serve the people around us, when we have a chance to humble ourselves and be a blessing to those around us, we have the privilege to experience God's work in us, through us, and beyond us. And all of a sudden, the moments of our lives begin to build together repeatable moments of God at work become this life of movement towards pursuing God and expressing it in the world around us. And we shine. Because in a world of darkness, in a world that's all about turning in, saving ourselves, hiding in our peers, there's a darkness that consumes us. But with bended knees and extended hands and eyes that are focused towards the heavens where our hope comes from, that God himself is at work and God himself is restoring and God himself is changing our world. Then God gets the glory. And the world sees its darkness and it loses the confidence it once had in itself. I believe so that one day every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to pray for us today and my desire is that you might pray. You might pray that God would begin to take the moments of your life that have been building up and begin to leverage them in a way that they become a movement towards this life of love and forgiveness and new life that's only found in Jesus. And maybe, it's, maybe it needs to be expressed in a decision towards surrendering your life in baptism. Maybe it's a decision of taking a next step of obedience. Maybe it's, maybe it's thinking about the one person that you could start to reach out to. Maybe it's about talking to your household about things that need to change.
And I'm going to pray. And I pray that your heart would be open to wherever God may lead you. Let's pray. God, we take a deep breath in this moment and we breathe in your spirit. We bring in the light, breathe in the life that only you can give us. God, sometimes the weight of this world, it's overwhelming and it presses into our shoulders. Sometimes it's intangible things like the work week that we've been a part of. Sometimes it's in the intangible of the emotional stress of something we're going through or things that we're thinking about. God, our desire is that we would cast every anxiety and every burden that we have on you. God, would we begin to be the people that when we want to see schools transformed, we want to see neighborhoods safe, when we want to see families put back together, may we just lean back in to the idea that God is restoring in us. God, where are you changing us? Where are you leading us? God, what are the moments, the relationships, the scenarios or circumstances or environments where you're calling us to? God, may we pursue you and your activity. God, by the power of your spirit, would you lead us? Would you prompt us? Would you convict us and conform us? Would you take our lives and pour us out and fill us with you? May your name be praised. May all glory and honor and power and privilege be yours. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Now, you may be new to First Christian Church and, or maybe new to church in general, but one of the things we do with this back portion of our worship experience is we create a time of movement in the room where we respond to God in different ways. We pause for moments of prayer at the altar uh, on these benches forward. We go to tables where there are bread and juice, these small pieces of kind of crust. We're reminded that Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. He was speaking to the broken body and his shed blood on the cross, reminding us that it is the sacrifice that, that overcame sin and death. It's the one that invites us to the life of love and forgiveness and new life. And so we come and many of us will eat that bread and drink that juice and then we'll put the cup back into a, uh, a metal container in the middle to throw them out. And some of us will move to the sides maybe to pray some more. Or some of us will take our connection cards. Maybe there's a decision that we're making today. Maybe it's uh, to surrender our lives in baptism. Maybe it's to sign up to, to serve with these foster parent family uh, Christmas parties. Maybe it's to join a group. But whatever your response is today, whether you need prayer, whatever, may, may you put it in those response boxes. And several of us will probably put our, our tithes and offerings in there or use the gift app, give app. But this moment is a chance that as we sing these next two songs for us to, to move, to respond back to God. Because we think in moving, we're, it's more memorable. We're thinking about exactly what we're doing. Now, if you don't have a relationship with God, or maybe you're not able to move from the chair that you're part of, I, I would encourage you to stay where you are because people will bring communion to you. But if you don't have a relationship with God, or maybe you're not comfortable with responding to God in this moment this way, I would encourage you to either stay in your seat or stand there and just think about the words that we're about to sing. 
Think about your life and where there may be adversity and where there may need to be restoration. And what moments could God begin to use? And how may God be able to leverage those moments, those circumstances, those relationships, so that ultimately it becomes a movement towards him and towards the restoration that he's creating in the world that we're a part of. As God moves you, your heart, your mind, your body, may it be for his glory, for his honor. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's respond to